0: Happy versus Flourishing, episode 25. Welcome to the podcast where we aim to give you ideas of ways you can improve your life in some way or other. This week's episode, which is the last week of Happy versus Flourishing, because there's a new podcast or a new series starting next week called Habits and Health. But this week's show, episode 25, is with Brooke Hender. Brooke is a, a cognitive hypnotherapist. He helps people with security, intimacy, happiness, many other areas. He's got a fascinating way of looking into the way that we use metaphors in how we speak. And we're going to hear a lot more about that. It's it's a really interesting conversation, where it certainly was for me. And I hope that is the case for you as well. Please do share the episode with anyone who you feel could get some real benefit from this. And why not subscribe? If you do subscribe, you will obviously be subscribing to the new podcast which starts next Tuesday which is Habits and Health and it's all around helping people create healthy habits. So I'm going to have a series of guests talking about different areas of health and both sort of mental, physical, all different aspects of health and how we can create small habits to help us improve what area, whatever every area of health it is so for example in a couple of weeks time we've got a guy talking on sleep well he's not just a guy he's a scientist who talks a lot about sleep next week's episode the first episode is he's talking about memory and how we can use memory to to improve our, our health in various ways so that's um the new show that starts next week but right now it is time for this week's show with brooke hender Happy versus Flourishing, and my guest today, Brooke Hender. How are you, Brooke?
1: I'm very well, thank you, Tony.
0: And where do we find you, Brooke?
1: I'm in not-so-sunny Walton-on-Thames in Surrey at the moment.
0: Mind you, it's not often that sunny at this time of year, is it?
1: (laughs) No, but uh, it's always welcome. I think uh, yesterday morning was bright and clear after the Mm -hmm. snow and ice, so...
0: And and what is it that you do, Brooke? What is it? How you how, how do you help people?
1: So this is always tricky because you know I can describe myself as a therapist or a coach, and I'm both those things, and neither of the you know I wouldn't say neither of those things. But hmm. so uh, I, I sort of tend to start with my elevator pitch, which is I help women and men to get more security, intimacy, and happiness hmm. in their life, and I do that by being uh, direct, challenging, but effective, so yeah, uh, and we can explain and talk about perhaps uh, a bit more about how I sort of got to that so therapist, I suppose, is the easiest description
0: and so how long have you been doing that? Uh, this is my fourth year
1: full time
0: and, and what was it that, well, how, what was the path that led to you getting into doing that?
1: well my natural inclination or where i was a number of years ago was that i generally would think of myself as the last person uh, on this planet to be a therapist mm. i definitely hadn't dealt with a lot of my own stuff and it just it, it genuinely wasn't on my radar i wasn't thinking about that line of work uh, i was just dealing with my own stuff and I was an actor at the time. I, you know, had, you know, an amount of personal stuff going on. And I was, uh, I was working. I just started working with somebody who was a friend of a friend. And I definitely wasn't ready to do the work, but this lovely woman sort of persisted for a number of sessions. And it was, it was interesting. It wasn't transformative because I wasn't ready to do the work. Mm. But what was interesting f- for me and what I think started this was she said, I think you'd make a really good therapist,
0: mm.
1: which was a surprise. And, and to be honest, something I dismissed at the time. Mm. And, and then um, I had an opportunity to train as a cognitive hypnotherapist with Quest Mm. uh under a guy called trevor sylvester
0: Mm.
1: and again i did it because i had an opportunity to do it and because i'm interested to learn and to discover things and i thought well look this will be interesting if nothing else Mm. and so i did the one year course Uh, and again as i got towards the end of the course i wasn't thinking about doing it as a therapist during that time, I had got more therapy, and that therapy had been very uh, impactful. It had made a significant difference in, air, in some fundamental areas, which was about self-esteem. Mm. I'm happy to talk about that if it comes up, but uh, about how I felt about myself. Mm. Because obviously how we feel about ourselves underpins everything, in my opinion. Yeah, And it was really, uh, you know, what was I going to do next? And the ending of that course, and then I was sort of continued on to do the sort of next level, the uh, what they call the master practitioner level. And during that time from my sort of day job where I was working full time, I, I decided to leave and I had an opportunity to leave with an amount of, you know, because of redundancy to, to leave with um enough startup capital to get me sort of through the first six months. And I thought, mm-hmm. well, if I don't do it now, I might never do it. So I basically went from full-time working into full-time therapist without any gap.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Not necessarily the smartest approach in <laughs> hindsight.
0: <laughs> but, how did that how yeah. did that pan out?
1: Well, you know, I think there's a lot to be said with people say so go, well look, you know, continue to work build up your practice, get it to the point where, you know, you've got enough consistent regular income Mm -hmm. so that you can just shift away from one into the other, which is a very Mm -hmm. sensible idea, but that's not what I did. (laughs) But I had no safety net, so I had to get on with it.
0: You know, you just said, I just saw a quotation yesterday that really reminds me of what you're saying. It was, um, until one is committed, there is hesitancy, a chance to draw back. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, No, I think there's a lot of truth in that. And And I think partly there are a number of reasons, you know, why when I sort of look back as to how I was as an actor and how I got in my own way, and I think there was a lot of a safety net there, and I took the safety net. And, you know, the the issues I had with my self-esteem, how I felt about myself definitely impacted on my ability to be the actor I probably could have been.
0: And so once you... So you, you you started doing it, and you, you're working as a therapist. What what was the hardest part? I wonder if I mean during before we started recording, we were talking about you know, getting clients often involves mm. in a lot of sort of marketing and all that sort. Of, was that the hardest aspect of it, or was it something else?
1: I think from a business perspective, well, I can only I can't I can only obviously only speak for myself, so I will. But yes, there is the business aspect. That mm. so, but there is the other side, which is what sort of a therapist am i mm. so you know the training i got was very thorough very comprehensive prepared me well to to follow that particular path of therapy very open very flexible as a model and so that's what i used so for the first you know first year i i, I sort of found my way and got used to working and getting better at that you know, the business of gaining experience. Mm. Then there is the second aspect, which is obviously finding clients, getting work. Mm. So that was obviously build a website. Unfortunately, of course, building a website isn't going to make people suddenly flock to your door, Mm. but the the marketing, so it was writing blogs. It was networking back, you know, back in that time, you could actually meet people in a room. So, Uh, it was physical networking, and I would literally do the hard graft of building relationships and starting to get work. And I did get work. I got work pretty quickly, and you know I had enough of buffer to, to start to build it up. So, yeah, those were the two things. They were the hardest things because I think certainly when you're new as a therapist, you're obviously finding out what sort of a therapist you are, but the, the people you like to work with what appeals to you what doesn't appeal to you and you're still discovering all that and of course that's ongoing and it's very easy to focus on how good you are as a therapist at the expense of being a good business person and I think that's quite common and it's definitely something I did
0: well, when so once you you started you become a therapist or well I guess it actually could be before you did it sort of full-time the first ever client that you worked with can you remember your your feelings or were you yeah did you have self imposter syndrome or oh, anything
1: that? Absolutely. absolutely you know you learn a whole bunch of stuff mm. and so you know on paper you you've got all the techniques and uh, but how you apply it and the skill and the fluency that's something that comes with practice and and time my first client who actually I'm still I work with occasionally and they've had massive changes over the years, and I still keep in touch with them, they're a great supporter of mine. But it actually turns out my first client was somebody who'd actually trained in the same way that I had. Wow. So not only that, but the person they worked with before was highly experienced. Mm-hmm. So I was sitting there going, Ah, oh, great. So if I'm gonna get find out, this is found out, this is gonna be the person. But actually, it went completely fine. They found it very useful. The feedback was they didn't, you know. Later on, when I asked, they said it, I didn't come across at all as being nervous or not coming across as knowing what I'm doing. So, uh, yeah. But it, but it always is because there's a big difference between theory uh, and practice. Clients to mm. somebody who is paying you money mm. to help them, and that's that's basically what I'm being paid to do it's not about me gaining experience it's about doing what I can do to help that person to to move them from thinking about themselves in one way or the problem to a more helpful series of thoughts
0: so from from where you were then to where you are now so at that time I would presume that you had certain thoughts about how you would help people and so on and how, how much has that changed to to now
1: Completely. I would say 180 degrees, and it's not because I've rejected. I don't think there is one right way to work. I don't think there is one approach that works for everybody all the time. Mm. So, you know, cognitive hypnotherapy, as I learned it from Trevor Sylvester and Quest, uh, you know, Trevor's a highly experienced guy. I've got a huge amount of time and respect for him, and the model he's developed is is a really open uh, and useful and practical model and, and so that's what I used. And then I sort of became aware of Andy Austin's work. Andy Austin specializes in metaphor work, uh, metaphors of movement, and I, I did some training in that, and that opened up a new way of working and interacting with clients. It's not outcome-driven in terms of what exercise or what thing can i do that that deals with that specifically it's a more uh, exploratory but again it's not like well if we do this then you'll get this it's like okay you're providing giving the movement within their metaphor of how they're experiencing life and through that they are discovering for themselves what's helpful that's probably not a very clear explanation but um it's definitely one of the links worth checking out uh, andy austin's work uh, with metaphors is I think truly amazing and I've mm. been on subsequent training but just allowed, allowed me to hear people's conversations in a new way mm. allowed me to well, because we all use metaphor you know yeah how are you feeling oh, I'm feeling stuck you know it's something mm. very common or I want to move forward with my life but I keep I keep feeling like I'm hitting my head against a brick wall I mean mm. that is that is the li- that is literally how they feel about where they are mm. You know, and most of, most problems are involving a lack of movement. They're not able to move forward. And, you know, and then there's all that play on language, you know, moving ahead with your life, moving forward, doing what's right for you, the right thing. If you're not doing what's right for you, what's left for you, uh, you know, taking a step back, what's right behind you, what's left. And there's, it's a huge subject. And that's a very, very almost not glib, but it's very simple to explain it as being a series of clever, uh, you, you know, a clever use of language. But it's it's a very rich and deep, and I've only really done some very very basic stuff with it. But that was really revolutionary. Really started a process of change. But also, Andy was, um, you know, the importance of your state, of how you are, and about how you can use that. Uh, to also affect change. So, uh, yeah. And then, through Andy's work, I discovered Nick Kemp's work. And Nick Kemp runs uh, something called Provocative Change Works, which is based on the work of Frank Farrelly, who wrote a very famous book called Provocative Therapy. And it's a very, very different approach and is more conversational, and it's, um, again, I'm not going to do this justice. So very simplistically, you are arguing for the problem and they, then giving the client an opportunity to argue against themselves or why why they should or should not maintain the problem. Mm. Uh, Frank Farrell used to have a saying, you know, let's run it up the flagpole and see if they salute. Mm. People only ever react to something that they care about or has a, um, they have an emotional resonance with. If you make a comment to somebody and it has no resonance with them, they they won't care about it. They'll just laugh. But people only react to things that on some level they care about or feels true for them. Mm. And so, you know, I continue to train in that uh, and I've introduced that more and more into my work. And so it's now very, very conversational and there's a lot of humor and it's can be, it's very fertile ground for change. Again, not necessarily outcome based. People decide for themselves what's helpful and what's not helpful. Mm. Um, and you know, for the last couple of years, I've been recording all my sessions. I send the client a copy of the session in full and I get them to listen back to that so that they can discover for themselves what's helpful and what's not helpful. Mm. It's not my job to tell them how they should lead their life. I have enough trouble with my own life, to be honest, Tony.
0: <laughs> so I'm wondering, you know, from what you said there and all these you know, learning about the uh, provocative therapy and the um, the metaphors and so on. So in, in what ways are you now able to take the clients you're working with now? How is it that you're helping them differently from how you were a few years ago?
1: i think there was very much an approach and again i'm not saying it's a wrong approach by any means this is just about how i work so mm-hmm. it's not a comment about how other people work i think it's important to discover what sort of therapist you know i am and you know each individual therapist because we all bring ourselves to our work doesn't matter what, what approach yeah. but it, it you know it's like so what are the what are the how long have you had the problem? When is the problem at its worse? When is it better? You're looking at for all the parameters and mm. then choosing appropriate techniques to to deal with those things. Uh and they're, you know, the classic sort of a combination of NLP like timeline and parts work and gestalt. And and these are all excellent techniques. It's not that I would never use them and that I don't use them in, in some way mm. to bring about a change. But essentially, what are we trying to do? We're trying to get the person to think differently. Mm. And it, although a particular technique may, you know, like a timeline going back, revisiting a situation, getting them to think differently or resolve it in some way. What's the outcome of this? The outcome we're looking for is getting them to think differently about that, about their story, about what they believe about themselves so that they can, they can choose a more helpful belief. Mm. That's essentially what we're doing. But you know, how do we maintain the problem? There's a structure in place. Each problem has we maintain it every day. We don't wake up and go, "Oh, okay." I immediately think back to my seven-year-old self who was in that situation that's that's led to this. Mm-hmm. We just wake up with the problem. I'm the sort of person that can do this. I'm the sort of person that can't do this. Mm-hmm. I'm the sort of person that that won't say no. Uh, I'm not the sort of person that will get my needs that will work to get my needs met. So, there's a structure in place. And the way I work now is very much about trying, you know, of destroying that structure so that there is no problem anymore. If you don't think about yourself in the same way, you you don't have the problem. Mm. And rather than going at it through a series uh, from the approaches I've described before, it can be a very uh, different way of approaching it. So, it might be advocating for the problem, you know, what's wrong with that? Mm. You know, oh, I've got this problem, and they describe the problem. And you go, well, what's wrong with that? Maybe it's good that you've got this thing. Mm. Maybe it, maybe you're doing a, maybe you're, you know, benefiting society by having this problem. And perhaps if you did more, more for it, uh, more of it, you'd you'd benefit society even more. Mm. Now, you know, they're going to have to have a reaction to that. Yeah, and that's going to be a visceral reaction. It's not going to be an intellectual reaction. It's going to be a visceral one. And, and people, as I said before, people only react to stuff that, that's important to them.
0: Right.
1: And so you're constantly looking for what they're reacting to, mm. to get them to a state of confusion, to a state of having to reevaluate. So they're constantly arguing against themselves mm. to determine for themselves what's helpful and what's not helpful. Mm. Uh, I'm pro- again, I, I, I seriously suspect I'm not doing, Nick's work and Frank's work any justice here, but uh, for the sake of simplicity, I'll, I'll keep it at that. I think,
0: yeah. But I think what's great about and, and it's for anyone, when you know, we all learn things, and we're never going to do it exactly the same way we were taught. We're no. all always going to put our own spin on it, yeah. combined with all those other things that we've learned, and then it just creates something totally unique. So you've, got, you've got your own take on what you've learned from those two guys, and yeah, so it's, it sounds fascinating. Thank now, you. I'm wondering. I'm wondering, um, as you were saying that, there's a, a phrase, and it's not a word I particularly like, but I guess it's a good way of describing it. Do, do you have a, an avatar, a particular type of client that you look for?
1: Yeah, this is, this is always interesting when you sort of, you know, obviously the classic thing about marketing is, you know, your avatar, your ideal client, you know, are you writing for them, are you? Mm. So I would say 90%, well, I know that 90% of my clients are, are women. And there tend to be two main categories. So I do a lot of work uh, with women who are married or partnered uh, with or without children, but they tend to be in their 40s. And on paper, they've got a great life. They're married, they've got a good job, or their husband's got a great job, they've got kids, they've got a good school. They're not, you know, on paper, it all looks great. Mm but something doesn't feel right it's not that they're necessarily alcoholics it's not necessarily that they don't have any money they don't there's no you know they can't say oh look i've got a problem with my drink or it, it's not that but they're just like how did i get here what who am i what, what's going on i'm just not satisfied but they mm. don't know what to do about it they don't mm. have any clarity mm. and so I, I i work with a lot of women like that who you know and there are things they may drink too much it's not necessarily a massive problem but or they they may have uh things going on or or habits that are unhelpful Mm -hmm. and so it's about identifying what's really going on Mm -hmm. and then giving them the space to discover what's helpful and what's not helpful and on some level it's you know in my experience Pretty much, it's going to be about how they feel about themselves, their relationship to themselves. Uh, particularly because there's a lot of labels, you, you know, that we all either adopt or get given, you know, so it could be rather than just being that person, they are suddenly the wife, the daughter-in-law, uh, the mother, uh, mm. he, you know, or, you know, the, the school friend, the, all these labels. And, and, you know, life becomes about logistics as much as anything else. Mm. And, and so it's almost like they've lost touch with their needs, what they want, who they are now. And I I help them to discover what they want, what's useful for them, what's no longer serving them, so that they can make helpful choices. Mm. So that's one main category. And the other tends to be uh, people who... who Make unhelpful relationship choices, uh, and so they can be typically in their thirties. They are maybe looking for a family, uh, looking for a partner, looking for a family, but they've, they've not had the right partner they've come out of a long-term relationship and now they feel a bit panicky, but they're, they're worried about their choice in men, uh, or in partner and they're getting in their own way. They're they're yeah. so worried about time and, and the possibilities of uh you know, they're anxious about what they might not get. And again, it's helping them to find clarity and to realise that they're more likely to get what they're looking for by letting go of of that desperation for what they're trying to get. Mm. Um But there are other categories. But yeah, and but generally all, all the all the people I work with are it's about self esteem. There is about, because it underpins so much of our stuff. Yeah. yeah, You know, how we allow ourselves to be treated, what we're prepared to put up with, whether we write that blog, whether we say that thing, whether we say, no, that's not acceptable. You know, all of it comes from how we feel about ourselves. And it's not that self-esteem is a binary black and white thing. It's not that we have wonderful self-esteem or no self-esteem. It changes depending on the circumstance and the situation you know it, it varies, but you know acceptance of self of going yeah, I'm not perfect, you know, mm. but actually, and you know my behavior isn't necessarily ideal, but that doesn't make me fundamentally a bad person. who I am is good mm. enough, and I have work to do on these things, and by accepting that, that could be the start of you know huge transformation transformation so
0: and that, and actually surely it would, it's much health healthier to realized it i mean no one's perfect and expecting perfection is just ridiculous well
1: yeah it's a hiding to nothing but it's so easy you know imposter syndrome is about comparison Mm. you know if you're you're comparing yourself to others and finding yourself wanting Mm. Uh, perfectionism it's about always doing better and no matter what you do it's not good enough and comparing Mm. yourself to either your own expectations of yourself quite often or Mm. the expectations of our parents that's where it quite often starts, mm. you know, so it's, again, it's a very similar thing. Um It's it's rare, it, well, you know, I'm not saying it's never, but, uh, you know, it's not necessarily always directly comparing yourself to other people, but that can be an element to it. Mm. You know, it's like, oh, well, I'm this, but they're so much better. Mm. And so, you, you know if you're comparing yourself constantly to others, yeah, it's very easy to find yourself wanting. I mean, I can look at my business and go, yeah, but look at them. Look how much better they are, how much more successful, or look at how popular their blog is, or look at that amazing podcast. And I don't know what, I shouldn't bother because I'm not achieving that. But of course you're never going to achieve it if you, uh, if you don't do it. And the other thing is, is that what you want? And Mm. so it's about values uh, as well as identity.
0: Mm. So many, so many directions I could go in for some of the things I just said, <laughs> and I don't know which one to, to focus on. Um, there's, I mean, one of the things that, that came into my mind when you were talking then about, um, comparison and and, and so on, there was, i trying to remember the guy's name. I can, I remember his surname is Adler. He was a psychotherapist, um, quite a long time ago. Yes. And he talked a lot about comparison and his there was one particular th- passage I remember reading. From it, it was so good around comparison. I don't know if it brings any bells or if you know much. It doesn't. It. I mean,
1: I know of Adler. Uh, oh. I mean, there is. You know, don't get me wrong. Nothing I do is original. I, I mean, mm-hmm. I'd like to make that perfectly clear. I stand on the. Uh, I think a phrase Trevor taught taught me, but you know, it is absolutely true. You know, we all stand on the shoulders of giants. Mm. Uh, so you know, the the way I work, the combination I choose to do what i do is all based on the investment and the the genius of others and i just bring my flavor in the way that i do to my work uh so yeah i mean there's so many you know and there's still so much to learn i'm only as I said, this is my fourth year, I'm still learning there's an endless amount of stuff to learn, to evaluate, to appreciate, to try and get to grips with, to truly understand. And even if you focus, even if I focused on one particular area, it would almost take a lifetime. Um, so yes, I mean, definitely that thing about comparison uh, is, is absolutely true. You know, if you're on a desert island, would you have issues with self-esteem?
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: If you've got nobody to compare, compare yourself to, and presuming that, you know, you didn't already bring all your baggage with you to the island, uh, you know, would you have that issue? Mm. But, you know, these are sticks we pick up every day to beat ourselves over the head with. Yeah. And I'm always encouraging people to put down the stick because it's just not helpful. Mm. Uh, of course you can make that choice. You know, I could pick up, I could pick up a st- any number of sticks every day about yeah. any aspect of my life or my work because it's an endless, an endless thing to be able to do. There is no limit to it because we can always find ourselves wanting, you know, mm. even if I picked up a guitar today and played it for the rest of my life, I'm unlikely to be Dave Gilmore of Pink Floyd. Mm. You know, but that doesn't mean mm. I can't enjoy playing the guitar.
0: Exactly, yeah. And something else that just went, through, I was thinking of when, again, when you, before you were speaking and you were talking about um, some of the women that you were helping and the different labels that they're, uh, you know, being sort of, put on them hmm. and, and I'm not sure why this went through my head but I thought of character strengths and you know these yeah. sort of quick assessments like yeah. Myers-Briggs and all the rest of them I wonder what your take is on, on those sorts of things
1: I, I think they have a use I mean I definitely think it's useful it's it's always useful to get some clarity on uh, any information we can learn about ourselves can be used in a helpful way if you choose to use it in a helpful way. Mm. If you choose to use it as yet another stick to beat yourself up with, then, you know, it's not going to be helpful. But, uh, you know, seeing your top five strengths to your, as they call them, the least, uh, the bottom five strengths, your least strong strengths, (laughs) Mm. um, you you know, it, it might go, oh, actually, that is true. Maybe I hadn't appreciated that as much as I had. Maybe actually I can use that strength a bit more. Maybe I haven't given it enough or are okay or help you to identify those areas where focusing more time and effort on them would bring dividends because they're the things you tend to use last because mm. they're your least powerful strengths it doesn't mean you don't have them it's just mm. you don't rely on them and maybe putting more focus on them will provide more balance to your life so mm. i think there's always merit in understanding things <clears throat> there's you know, there's, but there's a. It can be a lot of information, and intellectual understanding is not the same as visceral or emotional understanding. Mm. So, I think it's good to to use these things, but uh, you know, knowing stuff is is helpful. So, I no, I don't, I don't definitely don't have an issue with them. Um, it, it's it's how you use them, like all tools.
0: Mm. I, if I remember rightly, because I remember the, the first time we met each other was at a four networking event. That's right. years ago and what I remember about this and you know obviously your memory will be different but my memory of that is at the time I was going to a few different sort of four networking events and various other networking events and and very often when everyone stands up at some point and does like a kind of elevator type pitch yeah and you know, it's called something different in every all of those different networking groups but your for whatever reason i can't remember exactly what it was you said but i literally my head sort of sprang up and i looked at you because i was so used to most of them were not poor but they were i don't know not very well crafted they were they didn't really sort of make you you know really look at the person and think wow but yours did and i thought wow that sounds really interesting and then i think i we had a chat i don't know if it was during the meeting or after the meeting um and i'm trying to think where i was going with this there's a reason why why i brought this up well
1: well, you know the only thing i would say i mean you know come back in when you you remember you know from my perspective because i you know i tend like you i've attended a lot of meetings and you tend to hear the same I think a lot of people f- struggle with the elevator pitch element of it. You know, they can be very nervous to stand up in person, especially if it's the first time they've done it. They've got 30 seconds or a minute to talk about themselves and what they offer, you know, mm. and that's that's sticking your head above the parapet, isn't it? Mm. Uh, and so there can be a lot of safety in it. Oh, you know, we're a company who helps blah, 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 and we print this and and we're very good at this. And, you know, if you're interested in something about printing, then please let me know. Mm. Uh I only mentioned printing because I had a conversation about printing this morning Absolutely. and you know, so it's like, this is what we do. This is what we can offer and it's safe. Mm. Uh, and we're so used to it. We tend to switch off a bit. And so I always think it's interesting to, to, to shift that around a bit to perhaps go against expectations. Currently I, you know, I tend to say, you know, as I mentioned my elevator pitch earlier, you know, I help, women and men to get more security, intimacy, and happiness in their life. That's the mm. positive outcome. That's what people get. Now, mm. security, intimacy, and happiness are going to be very – each person is going to have their own idea of what those things mean. And that's great because they should. Yeah. Um, and then I might say so – and most of my clients describe me as annoying, uh, infuriating – and just generally difficult to work with. So if you're interested in being annoyed and infuriated, why not have a conversation with me?
0: Mm.
1: Now that gets a very different reaction and mm. it also goes against the flow. Yeah. Uh, you know, most people laugh and because I don't, you know, I, I do it with a tw- as I try and do everything with a twinkle in my eye, as Nick Kent would say. And, uh, and that's the thing. It's like always bring, I always want to bring humor into it, but, think about something in a slightly different way. Yeah. Uh, Because I know that when people have a conversation with me, it's, you know, I do get, I do people, you know, it's true. I do. Some people find working with me infuriating because it's designed Mm. to, because I'm challenging them. And some people find me annoying because I'm not letting them off the hook. Mm. Uh, You know, that's what they're paying me. They're paying me to help them to get out of their current thinking. And sometimes that's, you know, challenging. Mm. if it were easy we'd all do it all the time but sometimes change you know change is by its very nature different from what you've got now mm. you may have had your thinking for 30 40 50 years and you're mm. shifting it and i don't i generally don't believe it takes a long time mm. but yeah there's an amount of work in it mm.
0: I, I, do, I do remember where I was going. Actually, I want to come back <laughs> to what you, you said well just because that was interesting. But what I was getting that was, and I from the early conversations we had, the impression that I kind of got in my mind about you was that you read quite a lot. Yes. And quite a wide range of different things, which no doubt sort of um, has, an, has an effect on, on how you go about talking with people and the, the, you know, the way that you act and the way you help people and so on. So I just thought is what, yeah, you, what kind of things do you tend to read? What kind of things is it you, um, you like reading?
1: So uh, I'm a big fan of the autobiography, the memoir. Mm. I like reading people's lives, uh, that common thread of having to experience a life and what goes, what goes on. Mm. I obviously read directly and around my subject. Mm. So there's a lot of, I suppose they call it fall into the self-help category. Mm. Uh, and there's obviously a lot of them. I also read a lot of military mindset stuff. I think that's an interesting uh, area, which is definitely not for everybody. Mm. Uh, and obviously a number of business books as well but that's for business um, and for pleasure I read novels mm.
0: and you, you mentioned just then about change being not necessarily I can't remember how you worded it but something along the lines of it's not necessarily hard and I suppose it depends well what did you mean by that
1: well I yeah. I think it depends on the nature of the issue. I mean, how long how long does change take? Now, change can happen very quickly, but that individual's very quickly could be five years or it could be one session. I mean, I had a, I had a conversation. Uh, so I run a fortnightly meetup group and somebody contacted me afterwards and said, can we have a chat? And I went, of course. Mm-hmm. They were in their car and we had a chat for three quarters of an hour hour i love having conversations with people i don't sell therapy it's not what i do i just said let's have a conversation and see if we can get some benefit from having a chat mm-hmm. so we did so and she found it incredibly helpful and i said look if you I, i'd be really interested to find out what happens so can i contact you in a month so i contacted her last week and said you know how have things been and she mm-hmm. went things you know have been awful And yet I've really dealt with them in such a different way. I generally don't think I'd have coped. And, you know, she said, you know, that one conversation was better than months of therapy I'd had and has made such a difference. Uh, You know, thank you. Mm. Now, obviously, that's quite unusual. It's not that every single conversation I have has that impact. Mm. But you never know what it is you're going to discover or you're going to hear or find that's going to make the difference, that that makes the difference. Mm. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I always work, whenever I start work with people, I don't do individual sessions. Uh, generally, I, I work, I have, I, my package is five sessions over two months. Mm. But generally, for most people, that's enough to get them started. That's enough to bring about enough change so that they continue the journey on themselves, by themselves, or they may want additional support, but they can go off and and start to make changes, and and I'll keep in touch with them and and, and see how they're going. So it's an individual experience, and it really depends on the nature of the problem. Um, Some problems take a long time, uh, and others can be done dealt with quite quickly. It's it's not necessarily about holding their hand right to the very last bit. Uh, Generally, I see my job as getting them started so that they can discover for themselves and I'm there to to help them and support them as they go along as they need Mm. so you know it can vary but uh, you can do uh, you know I've definitely noticed you can do a lot of work in five sessions
0: Mm. you mentioned just then about um, a meetup group so what what is that how is that a group that you run and what what is the objective of that
1: so um, you know Private therapy costs money. Mm. And uh, whilst there is various pricing models for various people, you know, it can be as an investment, um, you know, it can be challenging for some people. And so I wanted to offer something that would allow people to start to think differently, uh, but without any, that they can just turn up and drop in. So I run a, I use the meetup platform and every two weeks. And in fact, it's as we're recording this, it's this evening. Uh, every two weeks, for an hour or so, uh, I try and keep it to an hour, people can turn up, they can listen, participate, share, whatever they want to do, or they can just sit there in silence with their camera off, which, you know, happens. Mm. And I will, in a humorous and lighthearted way, get them to think differently about what's going on about how they feel about themselves. And I will use hyperbole, black and white statements. I tend to open up the meeting saying, you know, if you're looking for the secret of self-esteem, you know, of changing self-esteem, there isn't one. There are two types of people, people who take action and people who don't. You know, and it's not that I necessarily believe those things 100%. I'm just trying to provoke a particular response. I'm trying to get them to think differently differently. To, 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 question their own thinking about self-esteem, about how they feel about themselves. Mm. And so generally I get about 25 people, 25 to 30 people each, each fortnight. Got over 500 members in the meetup group and people can either come along every meeting or they can just come once and never come again or just drop in whenever they, whenever they feel it would be beneficial for them.
0: Is there a a recurring theme in the people that you tend to see as private clients as to what it is that they want to change?
1: There's a lack of acceptance. There's a lack of, they've usually, I've never met a boring person doing therapy. Everybody, you know, people have generally led interesting lives, but they don't believe that. Mm-hmm. and they don't think that they've necessarily achieved or they think that because they are a particular height or weight or shape or color or, you know, a lot of things that we, and some things that we absolutely cannot change. I mean, whether I like it or not at the moment, you know, as we are recording this, I'm a 53 year old white male. There's not much I can do about that. The age will naturally change, but um, you know, that's out of my control. So I don't, worry about it you know and so it's about acceptance of those things that we we cannot change and you know and then thinking about those things that are in our control but the, the truth is most things are out of our control we have very little direct control over a lot of things that happen in the world mm. but we do have control over how we choose to react to things yeah. you know a lot of people talk about getting triggered you know mm. uh, and i used to feel like that. i used to feel like i got triggered a lot you know, Mm. by particular approaches or situations. And I felt that that situation was making me have that reaction. And it took a long time for me to realize that it's actually how I feel about that thing Mm. that is actually causing that reaction. And there's something going on. And that until I deal with that, you know, it's going to feel like I'm at the receiving end of it, Mm. that I have no control over it. Uh, that, you know, somebody could trigger me whenever they want. Mm-hmm. And it's getting people to start to realize that that actually isn't true and it doesn't have to be true for them either.
0: Mm-hmm. And what you said a couple of minutes ago about uh, people who don't think they've had a particularly interest in life and, yeah. and, and so on and so on. And, and it seems to me a lot of that is because it seems to be the, the norm for most people who just watch a, a lot of telev- television, and so you're tending to see people who are deemed ultra successful, and, yeah. and comparing yourself against someone like that is just foolhardy.
1: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I completely agree. You know, we all, I mean, who doesn't, you know, I love watching television. I, you know, we all, you know, there's so many opportunities to watch programs now. We've got, you know, obviously Netflix, Amazon Prime, Disney Plus, Britbox, as well as, you know, obviously, the old-fashioned things like blu-rays and dvds as as well as terrestrial television mm. and, and sky and so there's a huge amount of stuff that's out there and of mm. course again it's about choosing you can choose things and go that's inspirational or again you can use it as a stick to beat yourself up with saying why am i not as good as that why why am i not able to do that what you see that just proves how shit my life is that just shows what a mm. what a loser i am mm. uh so again but that that stems from how you feel about yourself is obviously how you're going to react to those things and what choices you make about that what mm-hmm. context you're going to put it in so mm-hmm. yeah I, I know i agree that you know if you have a problem with self esteem you know you're you're going to find a way to find the proof that proves what you believe yeah you know what the thinker think the pro- thinker thinks the proof approves uh, you know, we we all know that from basic stuff, we delete, distort, and generalize all the information that comes in to fit our model of the world, mm. uh, you, you know. And so, you know, we'll hear a statement from the government, doesn't matter which government, doesn't matter what the statement is, and there'll be a group of people that hear it in one way and another group of people hear it another way, and they may hear it in a completely different way and say, look, that just shows how this position is true, and another group says, well, that just shows how this position is true. Because, you know, we're ignoring the bits that don't quite fit our model of the world and we're exacerbating or exaggerating the bits that do, that 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 make it more like what we believe. Mm. And we do that with everything, with all the information that comes into our lives. None of us, myself included, are exempt from that. Yeah.
0: yeah but, you know, life- if
1: you're telling yourself a story that's more helpful, I'm the sort of, you know, people will say to me, oh, I could never do what you do on the meetup groups, you know, just talk for an hour without mm. a script, without knowing what you're going to talk about. Mm. But I can do that because I tell myself I can do it. Yeah. So I go, I'm the sort of person that can do that. And because I believe I can do it, I then find all the evidence that proves I can mm-hmm. and ignore the evidence that shows, shows anything to the contrary.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, And this leads me on to some... Uh, I asked you about any books that you particularly like, and you, and you chose a couple of them. And one of them, I thought it might be good to talk about this now rather than at the end. So you, one yeah. of the books you chose was The Obstacle is the Way. yes. And what what was it? The impact that had on you, and why did you do that?
1: It, it was the, the 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 way of thinking about things. It was a fund It was one of the. It was recommended to me as when I was training, and it's you know I think it, it, it's a book that's steeped in stoicism. Mm. Uh, again, quite misunderstood, perhaps. In it's certainly much more available these days about what stoicism is, but it, it's about how you choose to see things Mm. rather than you know oh you know life's going smoothly and then this thing happens now life is shit Mm. Uh, actually that is a part of life and and it's how we deal with those obstacles that determine the quality of our life the quality Mm. of our experience and starting to look at things in a different way what can this situation teach me? What can it give me? What are the positives from it? What other, and it's not that there's, it's not about pretending that everything's an amazing opportunity. Mm. You know, people die, people get ill, uh, you know, global pandemics, you know, lockdowns. There's lots of things that happen that are far from ideal. Mm. And so it's not pretending that these things are great and oh, aren't they wonderful. But actually, you know, there may be some positive as well as some negative. Can I look at this in a way? How can I make this as useful to me as opposed to to it being an event that completely floors me? How can I recover from this as quickly as possible? How can I, you know, is there anything to learn from it? Uh, You know, and I think for me it was a shift in thinking. And so rather than seeing things as like, oh, God, here's something else I have to deal with, actually it's a part of it's a part of life it's a part of my life and I don't have to make it any more than it is I don't have to minimize it but I can just acknowledge it for what it is and see what I get from it so as we mentioned earlier last year was a great opportunity to go hey there are some bits of my business that really need some attention and actually I need to go back and do some to reinvest in a proper system like a CRM and I need to to look at how I engage my clients, how I engage with potential clients. And, you know, so that was an opportunity that came out of that, that had I, had we not been in that situation, I could have perhaps just gone on because I was getting natural natural organic growth. Mm. And so, you know, it could have been, so, you know, there was something positive that came out of it. Not mm. saying, oh great, let's have a global pandemic and see what I learn, because mm. there are lots of lots of aspects about it that you know we that are hugely
0: negative. Yeah, of course. And and go going back to the the obstacle is away. Yes, I'm wondering. So when when you read that originally, have you ever come back to it again? Like yeah, you?
1: definitely. I've uh, I'm sort of due to read it again. I try and read it once a year, mm. um, because. You know, I grow, and so every time I read it, I discover something new, yeah. or I reevaluate my thinking again. But that process is always going on. But mm-hmm. it, I find it's a really, and it's a quite clean book in the way that it's a very, it, it's it's very there. It is this. It's how what you choose to think about these things that makes the difference. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, that's been, and again, it's not going to be the right book for everybody there. As I said, there, you know, uh, there are a group of books I recommend, but the trick is, is in reading a number of books and finding which one resonates and is most useful
0: for you. Yeah. Yeah. It's fine. I mean, uh, there's something I often say to people is you can, um, you can go and see 20 different speakers on, you know, on stage at an event or when we're able to go and do those kind of things. And many of them will have a very similar, ultimately, their message is quite similar, but just said in very different ways. And then yeah. one of them, for whatever reason, well, and I wonder, it's probably a combination. Sometimes I wonder if it's just that this guy has just said it in a way that really resonates with you.
1: Yeah.
0: Or is it also a, part, a bit of that you've now heard that message said in different ways so many times that finally it's connected in your brain? And it's yeah. maybe it's a combination of those.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know which one it is. I definitely think uh, an amount an amount of repetition is helpful. Mm. Um, but, yeah, no, I completely agree. You can get 10 different speakers saying exactly the same thing. One of those speakers, it will absolutely just jump out at you and go, oh, my God, mm. why haven't I understood that before? Yeah. yeah. Because there is a difference between an intellectual understanding and, and a resonance in an, on a more emotional level where you go, ah, oh, I, I, I feel that I get that that, mm. that really now resonates with me. Mm. Um, and, and that's why it's worth revisiting stuff. That's why it's worth talking to lots of different people. Mm. Uh, as I've mentioned before, just there are lots of people who don't work the way I work. And there's probably lots of people who don't like or agree with the way I work. And that's okay too. Mm. Um, and I always encourage potential clients to go and, to go and talk to other therapists of different flavors mm. because. At the end of the day, you you need to be working with somebody that you believe is able to help you. Because if you don't believe it, that no matter how good they are, they're unlikely to be successful. Mm. And and you never know what approach is going to be the one that that resonates with you most strongly. Mm. And, you know, you may not, you know, I've had plenty of conversations and people said, look, I really enjoyed the, well, I didn't enjoy the conversation, but actually it really made me think about stuff, but I don't want to work with you. And I go great. Mm. That's that's okay. That's completely fine. I'm glad you got something out of the conversation.
0: Yeah, Yeah. I'm
1: glad it was useful on some level. And you know, and I might not be the right person to work with you. Mm. Uh, And so it is always about exposing yourself to to different ways of thinking, which is why I try, as I said before, I try and read around the subject. Mm. So um, I don't know if you've heard of Jocko Willink. He's very Mm. famous. He's quite a well known podcaster. Yeah,
0: Yeah.
1: uh, who does his. He's uh, an ex-U.S. Navy SEAL and now teaches leadership. And uh, he has a book called Discipline Equals Freedom, Field Manual, Mark 1, Mod 1. <laughs> and it's a very, very direct, no bullshit, get on with it, don't mm. give yourself any excuses, just, just do it sort of approach. Mm. Now, that's not going to be the right book for everybody. mm but for the right person, it's going to be the perfect book. The trick is always finding that book. So I like to, you know, for me, if I'm sort of like vacillating about something, I just, you know, I can literally, it's quite an easy book to read. You can literally open it up at any page and start reading. Mm. Uh, and I find that a really good tonic. It provides me with clarity and goes, oh, okay, I, I just need to get on with this. I just need to do it i don 't need to think about why i 'm not doing it, just do it, um, but that may not be helpful for somebody if somebody's you know in a different stage that that may be the the, the
0: last thing they need to hear yeah Go, Going back to to metaphors again yes I'm wondering now, because of you done, you've done so much work on metaphor and you, and you use metaphor now and how you work, so are you now in a situation where every conversation you're in, you're constantly seeing metaphors left, right and center. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Did that that get annoying?
1: (laughs) Uh, Not really, because uh, I mean, I, I, you know, I use it at a very basic level, uh, you know, and I know a lot of people who do a lot more training and uh, are able to use it in a much greater, with much greater subtlety and nuance than I am. It doesn't Mm. mean what I, what I do isn't useful, of course. Mm. Um, but it does give you an idea, because people don't listen for metaphor. People mm. will just think, oh, it's just a saying. But actually, it does reveal a lot. It mm. reveals about, you know, when they're talking about business, about whether they're growing the business or building the business. That's two different types. Mm. One's agricultural, one's, you know, industrial. Mm. Uh, you know, we're launching, you know, I'm launching my business. Uh, are you launching a ship or are you launching a rocket? They're two very different things. Mm and but you know life feels like an uphill struggle uh i just feel stuck you know Mm. as i mentioned before you know these are very common things that people do not even notice yeah and yet that is how they feel that's how they feel if somebody says they're stuck that's how they feel they feel like they're unable to move Mm. and so it's there they've just told you so when listening to metaphors even on the most basic simplistic level, will tell you something about their lived experience. Uh, you know, I'm feeling down. <laughs> you know, if you're down, you know, and, you know, I want to I I get more, you know, I, life feels like an uphill struggle. I'm trying to, you know, I, I want to sort of move up in the world. Well, if you're moving up in the world, you're going to be above others, aren't you? So you may mm-hmm. find yourself looking down on other people. Or you might be expecting other people to look up to you. That's the literal yeah. exploration. You know, if you take that as a literal thing, if you, you are up, then somebody then others are going to be down. You're not grounded anymore. And that's about status.
0: So, so do you find therefore then that people tend to be I don't know, consistent is the right word with the metaphors they're using? Are they often around a certain theme? Or do some people just have all over the place with the metaphors they use?
1: Well, I think, you know, obviously you can ask you can ask somebody every single day you know when you say well when you think about your problem what's it like you're going to get a different metaphor probably or variation of it mm. every time right. it's not going to be one fixed metaphor because who knows what they're experiencing each day
0: mm.
1: but you know and you could do multiple multiple metaphoric explorations within a fixed period of time in it within a session if, if that's helpful um so, I, I, but I think the basic premise, in my experience, I mean, I don't tend to sort of do the work day in, day out, just using metaphors with one particular. I will use it as part of my overall work to get mm. some clarity about where they are and to give them some movement within that. Mm. So, you know, perhaps I'm not the right practitioner to be able to to answer that with with authority and knowledge. But mm. in my experience, you know, it is a snapshot of how they are feeling at that moment when they're when they're discussing
0: their issues. Yeah. Well, I mean, Brooke, we've, um, we've nearly an hour already. It just flies. Blimey. by. So if people want to find out more about you and your, yeah, you the meetup group and your social media and so on, where, where are the best places to go? Um,
1: so uh, I mean, on the, on the meetup group, uh, you can go onto meetup.com and just type in my name, Brooke Hender, or sort yourself out and you should find me. Um, my website uh and that has a lot of information and resources and then people can book a conversation uh, you know it's completely free to book a conversation and as i said before I, I don't sell therapy i love connecting to people and i love finding out what's going on and seeing if i'm the right person mm. to, to be able to help them or you know to see what's next for them mm. uh, i am interested in developing relationships not in trying to to flog you a package. Hmm. Um, I don't think it works, by the way. so
0: <laughs> we, um, I mean, we touched upon books just now, but I believe you've got another couple of books that you, uh, you quite like as well that you recommend to people sometimes.
1: Yes, so The Obstacle is the Way, uh, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a uh, F-Star CK, I'm being polite, I think we all <laughs> know what that is, um, by Mark Manson. Which is a really another interesting book, quite a disruptive book, and again quite a some people find it challenging because of the language, but it I think it for some people it's the perfect book. Mm. Um, I often recommend uh, How to Raise Your Self Esteem, which is by Nathaniel Brandon. It's a small mass market paperback and it's chakra block full of exercises. Mm. And so as a as a starting point. If people want to do some work on their own and want to find out why or what's going on or to get greater clarity, you know, for however much it costs, three ninety nine or four ninety nine, it's a really good book. You can work on it, work through it on your own, answer the questions, and you will get a lot of information, which may be a useful start for what's next. So that that's another book. Um, and obviously, I've mentioned "Discipline Equals Freedom" by Jocko Willink, which again uh, may be the right book for um, for some people.
0: Mm. And, and finally, book is there? Have you got a quotation you like?
1: Uh, <laughs> there's one I particularly love: uh, "Hope is not a strategy."
0: Mm.
1: And you know, hope we, you know, hope's are a really fundamentally important thing. So it's mm. not that I have it have it in for hope but when people are talking about their issues you know quite often they want some sort of change to come along and, and change them mm. you know oh you know well i'm hoping that things will be different but hope is not a strategy
0: mm.
1: hope in its in and of itself is not a strategy yeah. and so you know and then that comes onto the other phrase i use quite a lot i like to ask the question is so how's that working out for you So you know, you do all this. How's that working out for you?
0: Hmm. And depending on the tone of voice, the way that's used, that can mean so many different things.
1: (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, some people might do it in a very sarcastic way, as you can imagine, Tony. I wouldn't, I would never do that. I I like to ask things quite straight. So you know, when you're when you're eating that third packet of Jaffa cakes, how's that working out for you? you? You know, it's not about. I genuinely, there's. I think there's a lot of. Misunderstanding because of uh, a lack of awareness, especially about provocative approach. Mm. It's not about belittling people. It's not about sarcasm. It's not about making them feel small. That's completely counter to my training and to what I believe the work should be. Mm. Um, so it's not about that. Most people who work with me, you know, have a lot of laughter and fun in the sessions. Mm because you know we're in it together i'm there to help them and so yeah it might be challenging but i'm not there to be an asshole mm. and that's the thing it's if i were an asshole i'm not going to get the results that i'm getting paid to get yeah challenging absolutely mm. sometimes infuriating but absolutely i'm okay with that mm. but i've never been described as you know and it's not that like i've never made mistakes god i've made plenty mm. but it's always with humour, and it's always with regard. I want to help. I want these people to to benefit.
0: Mm.
1: Uh, and so, when I say, "How's that working out for
0: you?" it is definitely with a smile. Mm. Well, Brooke, it's been fascinating really really enjoyed this conversation and it's uh, we could go on for many more hours but I want to be respectful of your time so thank you for no
1: thank it. you Tony and and I would say you know I've always you know we always have good conversations and I, I find it th- that it's great that the focus is on me I know that's the point of this but but actually I know that you have so much to offer in this conversation so you know sometimes I think it would be nice in these interviews actually if it were a bit more you know less focus on me and more our opinions about things that'd be an interesting thing one day
0: well maybe we can we can do that in a, in a future episode we can yeah, have it change be, I, i'd
1: welcome book. that because i know you have a lot to offer
0: fantastic well brooke I, it was, yeah it's a great show I really loved it thank you so much for the opportunity tony thank you Hope you enjoyed that episode with Book Hendo, which is, as mentioned at the start of the show, the last episode of Happy Versus Flourishing. Because next week we have the new series, series three, which is called Habits and Health. And it is all obviously around the title, it is about creating healthy habits that will help us in various ways and we're going to go into the five main areas that we're going to explore are the five main areas of what I help people with which is sleep, breathing, nutrition, movement and mindset but we will also be covering some other areas so it will be including some mental health as as well as physical health and, and different ways that we can create habits in our lives that help us in in many different ways so that's next week's episode and the first well so next week the new show and the first show is with a guy called mark channon and mark is a former world memory champion um from quite a few years ago he uh took part in the world memory championships and won uh, he is based in london he's originally from scotland and we have quite an interesting conversation about learning and how to instill habits in, in many different areas of your life, how to remember anything. So that's next week's episode, first, uh, episode one of Habits and Health. Please do subscribe. Please do leave a review either for today's episode or maybe you want to check out Habits and Health first before you decide on leaving a review. Either way, it would be most welcomed. Hope you have a great week.